All right. Welcome to Bible Study Live with Matt. I'm Matt. Today is Monday, September 12th. It is 7.57 a.m. Central Daylight Time. And today we're going to talk about, did the devil make you do it? I want to look at uh, three pieces of scripture today. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. We're going to look at uh, the woman caught in adultery. And we're going to look at some of the lies that the Pharisees told when they actually drop that woman in uh, when Jesus was teaching. So we're going to wrestle with all that this morning, but a couple things. First things first, whole purpose of Bible study lives to create some conversation uh, without condemnation. Look, uh, sometimes it, it just, it's a little hard to ask questions, right? Sometimes in church, we feel like, man, if I ask that question, someone might think that, uh, you know, that I don't believe in Jesus, or if I ask that question, I'm going to sound like a heretic or whatever. But the reality is the only way to to draw close to God in a relationship is to learn to ask questions, right? We've got to ask God questions about the things we don't know about. He already knows we're thinking them. So there is no harm in asking them. Uh, but sometimes we just don't feel, well, A, in a worship gathering, you can't do that, right? Like the teacher is teaching, the worship team is leading worship. Uh, so it's not like we can interrupt everything and be kind of selfish to be like, yeah, well, I have this question though. And everyone in the church should stop what they're doing to listen to it, right? That'd be selfish. That being said, uh, that's what small group times for. That's what, you know, stuff like this is for. So anyways, the whole purpose of this is to great, create conversation without condemnation. I'd love it. If you drop a comment, tell me where you're watching from, listening from, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, let me know where you're watching from. But um, today I'm going to read from the new living translation, NIV, NLT, NASB, uh, the message, whatever you're reading from ESV, new King James, old King James, it's fine. They're good. They're telling the same story. Uh, we just want to wrestle with the scripture and draw closer to God. So uh, let's dig into it. Let's, uh, let's start. I want to start in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. Um, because this is, uh, this is good info. All right. So this is, um, <clears throat> Jesus, it says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry during that time. The devil came and said to him, I'm just going to quick footnotes here. The tempter this is what it says in Greek, uh, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold up, hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot in a stone. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord, your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Let's just, um, let's peel through these scriptures because there's some pretty, pretty cool stuff here. First things first, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So who led, who led Jesus to the wilderness? The spirit, the Holy spirit, spirit of God. That's who led Jesus into the wilderness. The devil didn't lead him into the woods. He was led by the spirit. The first question that this makes me wrestle with is why would, why would the spirit of God lead anyone somewhere to be tempted? Well, when we ask that question, we have to ask ourselves, what is God's motives? What is God's purpose for our lives? What does God want from us? And it would seem that the spirit was leading Jesus in 
It's because the Spirit of God knew that Jesus could overcome this temptation. See, God always gives us a way out. Um, a, a gentleman uh, at the Church of Highlands was talking about last night the difference between condemnation and grace uh, is that condemnation says you screwed up, you're a bum, but grace says you screwed up, but here's a way out. Now, Jesus obviously didn't screw up, so there's no grace needed by God necessarily here. But during this temptation, God gave a way out. Paul talks about this in the scriptures too. Uh, and hold on. I'm just going to pull up the verse here. So, uh, boom. So that we can look at it. And this is 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9. So let me just pull this up here. 2 Corinthians 1. And let's just uh, take a quick peek here. All right. It says, uh, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the troubles we went through through the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never live through that. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises us from the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. So <clears throat> that is not the verse that I was looking for. Uh, so I think I pulled up the wrong one. Sorry. One second here. Let me find it. Uh, because that's not the one I was looking for. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, that is not the one that I'm looking for. Uh, there we go. First Corinthians 10, 13. Oops. That's why. Okay. One second. There we go. All right, let's talk about temptation. It says the temptations in your life are no different than what, from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So let's talk about that for just a second, okay? I've heard people say, you know, God God will never give you more than you can handle. But they're usually talking about hardships, right? Like, um, you know... Oh, I've got, you know, I've got cancer. Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. You can pull through this. That is taking the verse completely out of context, right? Now, the truth is God, God does want the best for us. God loves us. But sickness, disease, illness, <clears throat> sadly, those are all part of living in a fallen world. Now, we can also look at the scripture saying Jesus told us to cast out sickness and disease, right? To cast out evil spirits. But today, what we're looking at, what we're wrestling with is this. Is every single thing from the devil? Is all illness, all sickness, all temptation, is it all from the devil? Uh, or do we have a role to play in that? And in spite of the devil's temptation, what what are we supposed to do? Well, I do love that Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, the temptations in your life, no different than what everybody else has gone through, and God is faithful. He won't allow the temptation to be more than what you could stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out. So you can endure. So the scriptures tell us when temptation, when we're faced with temptation, God will always give us a way out. And it's funny, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, if you really think about like all the times that, if I think about all the times in my life where I've been tempted to make a bad decision, right? If I really am honest about it, God has always offered a way out, 
right? Like there's, whether it's knowing in your mind, like, man, I know this is not a good decision to make. Uh, if I do this, there are consequences, you know, this could be detrimental to a relationship, a friendship, something like that. Like there's always a way out in temptation, but we just read about Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And look, it says Jesus was led into the, uh, into the wilderness by the spirit, by the spirit of God, which means God knew that the temptation would not be more than Jesus could handle. So let's look at the elements of temptation here. And then we're going to take a look and move to another story about temptation and look at the elements of temptation there. So devil takes <clears throat> the spirit takes Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is fasting. He's getting prepared for this. And the devil starts by questioning Jesus own identity, basically questioning who God says Jesus is. If you are the son of God, he says, you know, do this magic trick, turn these, these stones into bread. So he, the first thing he does is questions who Jesus is. If you're the son of God, well, God gives us our identity. God tells us who we are. And the number one way that the devil attacks us. And this is what leads to temptation, by the way, is getting us to question who God says we are. And with Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, then prove it. But friends, can I encourage you? God said you were created in his image. God says you're his child. You don't have to prove that to anyone. You don't have to manifest some magic trick to prove that God loves you. You're his child and he loves you. So that see the, the temptation begins with making us question our identity and who we are as God's creation. Now, Jesus, his way out of this was that he knew the scriptures See, the devil tempts him by attacking his identity and saying, if you're, if you really are who you say you are, then you should be able to make this rock turn into bread. So you won't be hungry because you've been fasting here for 40 days. And Jesus knows his scripture and goes, man, doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Well, what word came out of the mouth of God? Let us create man and woman in our image, in the image of God. He created the male and female. So Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew he was the son of God. He knew the words that came out of God's mouth. So he didn't need to create bread. But then the second thing, the devil takes him to the holy city of Jerusalem. Again, questioning his identity and questioning whether or not God would take care of him. He says, what? He says, if you're the son of God, here again, who are you to God? Like, what's your relationship with God is the first part of the temptation. What's your relationship with God? And then he says, because if you're the son of God, jump off because the scriptures say he'll order his angels to protect you. They'll hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your foot. So he said, look, if God loves you, he's going to protect you physically from any harm. So jump, prove it. But here's the thing. We live in a fallen world and in a fallen world, bad things happen. It stinks. But Jesus again responded. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. I love it because Jesus didn't even have to acknowledge this questioning of his identity because he knew what God says about him and his value as his child, as his son. Jesus already knew his identity, so he didn't need to prove himself to the devil. And also, when the devil says, you know, it says, you know, his angels will protect you. He's, he's trying to get, go Jesus in by going, you know, prove that God cares enough about you to keep you safe. And Jesus is going, you don't test God. Jesus was so confident. He, it's kind of like, there's that old saying when people, you know, they talk about like, you know, getting in a fight with somebody and it's like, you know, 
if somebody's goading you on, they're agging you on, they're, they're whatever, right? Oh, yeah, you think you're so tough. Let's fight. I remember this in high school all the time. People would always do this to each other. Oh, you think you're so tough. You know, let's fight. Let's fight. Come on, prove it, prove it. And it's like, if you know you can win, there's no sense in fighting, right? Like, if you know you're, if you're confident in your ability, you don't feel a need to prove yourself to people. If you're confident in your ability, you don't need to prove yourself. And Jesus was confident in God's ability. He didn't need to prove. He was confident in his identity. He didn't need to prove himself. And then the third temptation that the devil hit Jesus with was this. Takes him to the highest mountains. You can see all of it. He says, hey, I'll give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. So the third part of the temptation was kind of ties right back into the Garden of Eden. Right where Satan said, well, if you eat from that tree, then you're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. You're going to know things the way God knows things. And he appealed to their desire to be like God, which is having authority and power and whatever. But they already did have authority and power and whatever because they were made in God's image and God gave them authority over the earth, right? So, but they still like felt like, oh, maybe there's more. Maybe I can be more like God. And with this, the devil saying to Jesus, hey, I'll give this all to you if you'll kneel down and worship me. But... Jesus already knew who he was supposed to be worshiping. See, Jesus set aside his deity, came down as a human being to function the way that we function, to go through the things that we go through so he could be pure and spotless so that his death could cover our sins, so that his sacrifice could cover all the areas where we fall short because we do. We, we just do. It's just real life. It is what it is. And the devil says to Jesus, I'll give this all to you. But Jesus knew the devil didn't have the authority to give him anything. That was God's. And Jesus knew that there's only one God to be worshiped, and that is God in heaven. So we start this Bible study live today by looking at the way the devil tempts. What are, what are some of the elements of temptation? Number one, Satan wants us to question our identity, who, got, who we are to God, right? He, he wants us to question whether or not God cares for us. And so the way he wants to tempt us is he wants to get us to to do things that step outside of God's will in an effort to prove that God will come to the rescue. Uh, so keep that in mind as we now move into uh, John chapter eight. And by the way, after the devil tried this, when it failed, it says what happened? It says the angels came and tended to Jesus. Okay. So he didn't jump. He didn't get hurt. He'd fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. But after Jesus withstood the temptation, the angels came to take care of them. It's pretty awesome. Now, last night in this leadership training, uh, a gentleman from the Church of the Highlands had read the story about the woman caught in adultery, and there were a couple crazy things that stand out to me in the story. So let's read through it together really quick. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. Soon, <clears throat> a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. I want to pause there. Can I just point out something that I think is easily overlooked? And that is the level of disrespect taking place here. So Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't walk in and interrupt someone's teaching. Like we didn't see that taking place. But it's interesting because they were so hell-bent on like disrupting anyone from listening to Jesus that in the middle of him teaching, they bring this woman in, caught in adultery. Now, this is interesting. 
says the Pharisees brought in, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So first things first, they're humiliating this woman, right? Their whole goal is to get her humiliated and to try and trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. So verse four, teacher, they said to Jesus. So they interrupt him with disrespect, yet they, they talk the, the good. Okay, but I'm going to just, pause. this drives me so nuts. This is so often what we see in church today. Not in, in church, but from people who call themselves Christians today. Um, I see this so much on the internet with the way when people attack like a certain pastor or whatever. Here they come in honoring Jesus with their mouth, but disrespecting him with their actions. Teacher, they say to Jesus, if, he, if they viewed him as a teacher, someone they respected, they wouldn't have interrupted him teaching. They wouldn't have drugged someone in, you know, and made a big scene. Um, and so... There's a reason that the scriptures talk to us about, you know, uh, if you follow what the Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew, I think it's 23, if you follow what the follow what the Pharisees teach, but don't follow what they do. See, they, they use the right words, but they don't live the right life. That's the danger when people witness us as Christians, is if we, we talk a good Jesus game, but we don't live a good Jesus life. Okay, anyways, here we go. <clears throat> this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Uh, guess what, guys? I'm going to pause on this. The law of Moses didn't say go stone a woman. Actually, the law of Moses that they're quoting is Leviticus 20.10. And I want to show you what it really says. It says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Well, wait a minute. Where's the man? This has always irked me about this story is that these religious leaders drug this woman in and I'm like, well, where's the man? And I've heard people say, well, culturally, you know, men could do what they want because it was very patriarchal society. Pause. That is not what the Bible says. And that is not what God's word said in Leviticus. It says, <laughs> it says in Leviticus 2010, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman are to be stoned to death. So the Pharisees, what did they do? They bring in the woman, only the woman. So they let the guy off the hook because, and we can say, well, how do we know? Yeah. Well, if they caught, this says she was caught in the act, which means the man was there with her. But who did they bring in? Only the woman. So not only are they trying to trap Jesus into something here, but the other interesting thing is they're misrepresenting God's law. Not just to Jesus, but in front of everyone watching. These religious leaders are misrepresenting God's law. And it says, verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, pause. What could they trap to use against him? Well, here's Jesus who's, you know, I mean, he's been doing a lot of teaching. You know, we got um, in Matthew, we see in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, uh, forgiving people, loving them, how we <clears throat> While we have the right to do certain things, uh, like God, we should extend grace. So a couple of things I'm wrestling with here, because I'm like, well, what were they trying to trap him into saying and doing? Well, there's a couple options. One, he could have said, well, then stoner to death, like right now, let's do it. But then he would have been not showing God's grace and mercy. And he would have been saying, let's kill this person because they, they did something wrong. Right. Uh, and so maybe that's why. He was like, Meh. maybe that's what they were trying to get him 
trapped into. And then he could say, see, this Jesus is no more, no different than us. You know, he just, uh, he's just talking on the side of his mouth or maybe Jesus would have said, actually Leviticus, maybe they were trying to trap him into going, well, actually Leviticus, uh, in Leviticus in Moses, Mosaic law, it says we're supposed to stone the man and woman. So where's the man? Maybe they had the guy waiting outside and they were going to drag him in and go, here he is. You're right. Now let's stone them both to death. Who knows? We don't know what it was they were trying to trap him in, but they were trying to trap him into something that could be used against him. And how did Jesus respond? Well, it says he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now we don't know what he was writing. Maybe he was writing down there since maybe I've heard all kinds of theories. Nobody knows, but here's the crazy thing. What we do know is that Jesus didn't take the bait. He actually paused and maybe he was stopping to think. And wrestle with, you know, what's the best way to handle this? Because remember, well, Jesus set his deity aside, right? All of his God powers he left in heaven, which meant he needed to call on God for four things. You know, he he needed to call out and call out to God, uh, you know, to perform miracles, to do stuff like that. So Jesus didn't just do stuff of his own accord. He 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 called out to God for God's involvement in miracles and things like that. So what does he do? He pauses, he stoops down, and he starts writing in the sand, in the dust. They kept demanding an answer, verse 7. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again. And wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. So let's talk about this really quickly before we wrap up. So a couple of things just took place. One, we, we looked at the story of the temptation Jesus had. Now we see the, the story of the woman caught in adultery, which is interesting because it should have said the people caught in adultery, right? Because there should have been two people there. We see the Pharisees interrupting Jesus, but talking a good Christian game, right? Talking a good Jewish God-following game. Oh, teacher, as we interrupt you rudely. Uh, hey, let, as we misquote Leviticus to you because we leave out the part where the guy's supposed to be there. They're tr- they come in with uh, talking, you know, to put on a good show, but really disrespecting Jesus and everyone there. Jesus doesn't fall into the trap. Everybody leaves, starting with the oldest, right? Starting with the oldest. And then Jesus says to her, where, where are they? Didn't anyone choose to condemn you? What is like condemnation is a, is a decision that says you're done for. You're done for. But as a gentleman from the church of the Highlands said in the leadership training yesterday, but grace gives you a way out. God gives you a way out, right? Condemnation says you're done for. You're it. You screwed up. You're done. Grace says, you screwed up, but here's a way out. And Jesus offered her grace. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. But he didn't end there. He said, but go and sin no more. So sometimes the challenges that that I think we face as Christians, and, uh, and it just stands out to me when I read this, is oftentimes it's easy to accept God's grace. Like, yes, my life has changed. Right? My life has changed. I'm a new creation. God has forgiven me for my sin. Even though I know I'm not perfect, I'm going to make mistakes here and there. God's going to continue to forgive me. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we have a really hard time looking at other people 
and doing the same thing, saying, yeah, they screwed up, but you know what? I'm going to extend grace to them. But there are other things that this story really makes me wrestle with. Like, for example, after Jesus said, all right, but the one who's never sinned, throw the first stone. I love the way the NLT says that in the New Living Translation. The one who's never sinned. Because there is only one person in the room who had never sinned, and it was Jesus. And so he says, the, let, the one who, uh, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And this just stands out to me this morning. Jesus is the only one in that room who had never sinned. And, and what did he choose to do? Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stoops down and starts writing in the dust. Well, he's the only one that never sinned. So he's the only one who had the right to throw a stone if anyone were going to. And he chose mercy instead. When the accusers heard that, they started slipping away one by one, beginning with the oldest. I've said this before on Bible study live, but I, I feel like there's a reason that John said, starting with the oldest. And I think about it and it's like all the, the sacrifices that have been made in the temple, um, all the taking of innocent life to cover the sin of a man. The oldest would have had to sacrifice more innocent life than anyone. So maybe to them, they just kind of realized, you know, enough is enough when it comes to this death and killing. Who knows? We don't know why John put that detail in there, but I, I love to think it's because maybe in that moment they had a heart change. But today, let's talk about did the devil make you do it? See, here's the thing. They drug this woman in and she didn't say the devil made me do this. I, a lot of times I think we, we feel like Satan is like, you know, like the little cartoon devil who's like on our shoulder whispering in our ear and that there's like, God whispering in our other ear. But here's the reality. God is the only, only being that's uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Satan isn't. Satan's a created being. He was an angel. And he got cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels. They can't be everywhere all the time. Now, it's interesting because we say, does the devil make us do stuff? Well, that's a, that's a weird one. And the honest answer is um, the scriptures seem to show us that the devil can tempt us, which also means perhaps the rest of his minions can tempt us. We see in the scriptures, though, Peter, when when Jesus talks about having to go to the cross and die, and Peter's like, no way, that's never going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, I've heard multiple perspectives on that on what different pastors and scholars say, you know, was had Satan entered Peter in that moment. I think one of the translations even talks about it that way. Um, but here's what we know that Jesus said the words get behind me, Satan. Like was Satan talking through Peter? Was he, did he, did he enter Peter? Did he influence Peter? I don't know for sure. But what I know is that what did happen was Peter went against what Jesus just said was going to happen. So Jesus said, here's the truth of what's going to happen. And Peter said, no, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. So Jesus was, or excuse me, Peter was literally with his mouth interrupting God's plan, right? He was saying, I am not going to allow God's plan to take place. I'm not going to allow this thing to take place. And if something is not from God, well, then who else could it be from? Satan, right? If it's not God, it's God's adversary. So, you know, as Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you know, like get out of here, Satan, beat it, Satan, like that satanic influence to go against God's plan 
seems to be what Jesus was speaking to, right? Seems to be, seems to be. So can the devil make us do things? I don't think the devil can make us do anything, but I think what the devil is really good at is, is what, he, what we saw him trying to do with Jesus in the wilderness. The devil is really good at first trying to attack our identity. Look all around America today. People struggle with identity crisis. People do. They fall into depression, anxiety, because they're not sure who they're supposed to be. We've got genera- a whole generation of people that are like, um, you know, we, if you just look from the baby boomers down to Gen Z, like it's crazy the difference in mindset where maybe, you know, to a fault, um, baby boomers super duper seek uh, identity in work. And, and some of us like Gen Xers, same thing, right? Uh, we struggle with putting our right seeing that our identity is created by our productivity, right? We think our identity revolves around how well we can produce, provide, things like that. And if we don't do it to a specific level, then we feel like we're not, we're not good, right? And then you get down to Gen Z and we got people that are like, uh, and, and by the way, these are blanket statements. There's, this isn't everybody, okay? So please don't take it that way. But then there's a whole generation that are going like, you know, we, we went through like Gen X to Gen Y to Millennial where it was talking about like people don't care about money. They just care about the work environment and the experience and things like that. And then we've got a group of people who are like overwhelmed with life, right? They're struggling. Like when I was growing up, it was hard, uh, we were real poor. And then even in my early adulthood, I struggled to make ends meet. And I got to tell you, I felt like a failure a lot, but in feeling like a failure, I also felt like I had to work and figure it out. And now for some reason, we've got a whole generation of kids that they're feeling like they can't get ahead in life. And somehow, some way they've been convinced that it's because they're broken inside and, and because they feel like they're broken, they feel like they should just give up and it's heartbreaking to see, see Satan wants to, wants to change the way we approach God by first making it seem like we're unapproachable, that we're somehow broken and not loved by God. But can I tell you part of our temptation? to, to take the wheel and take control of life and, and, and to, to go our own way is because we don't realize who we are to God. Friends, you are a child of God. God loves you and he created you with a purpose. I, you hear me say it every single Bible study live, God created you with a purpose before he formed you in your mother's womb, not your father's because men can't have babies before he formed you in your mother's womb. He had a plan for your life, and that plan was for good, not evil. So God has a plan for you. So, of course, the number one thing that Satan wants to do is to tempt you and I into believing that we are not valuable to God and that it it wouldn't matter if we were on earth or not. Well, let me tell you, it matters. So the first temptation is to question your identity. The second temptation is to question whether or not God loves you enough to come for you. Now, here's the tough part. You may be going through a tough situation right now. You may be struggling with something that feels so overwhelming right now that you just want to give up. 
And you may say, why isn't God coming for me? Well, here's the truth. God already came for you. 2,000 years ago, before you were born, the most important thing God could do for you and I was that he came for us. Jesus stepped out of heaven, put on skin, fought off temptation, fought off the temptation even to be exalted as king. There was a time where Jesus was teaching and it said he, he took off to the mountain because he was afraid they were going to seize him and make him king. See, on earth, so many of us, we're fighting. We want the recognition. I know that is one of the biggest struggles I deal with is I love the spotlight and I want to be in it. Like that in my nature nowadays, used to hate it, used to be afraid of it, used to be. Now, I love the opportunity to teach and help people grow, but it's a constant fight with my own nature to go, it's not for me. It's not for me to be in the spot. I'm doing this because I genuinely want to help people. But I feel like there's this little voice inside me that goes, imagine how big you could get if you do this, right? And so the first way that the enemy attacks is to, to try and get you to question your identity. But the other way is the enemy wants to get you to question whether or not God cares enough to come for you in the hard times. Well, God sent Jesus for us in the hardest of times. When, when humanity was still God's enemy, when we were still his enemy, when we were helpless, when we could do nothing to pay him back. To prove his love for us, God's sent Jesus to cover all of our sin. God comes for you because God loves you. Now you may say, then why am I going through the hardship? That I'm going through? Why am I suffering job loss? Why am I still struggling to get back to work after COVID? Why can't I pay for my home? Why are my children uh, afraid to go to school? Why, why am I worried if I'll be able to put food on the table? Friends, I don't know why God is allowing you specifically to experience the struggle that you're experiencing. But one thing I know for sure is this, in the midst of the storm, you're better off praising God than cursing him. See, everything God does, everything God does, because God can only be good. God is good. Everything is to bring him glory. And it wouldn't bring him glory if he were punishing his children. So the hardships that we experience are not, I know God allows us to go through them, but God doesn't push us into the hardship. He allows it right? But Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So sometimes God allows us, sometimes God even leads us into some challenging situations, but we have to ask ourselves, if God is always good, why would he allow me to go through it? Why would he even sometimes lead me into it? Now, God doesn't lead us into temptation. And there's a very big distinction. You know, the Lord's prayer, the way some uh, scriptures word it and lead us not into temptation, right? but deliver us from evil. Uh, it's like that prayer, like people are going, hey, don't, please don't lead us like, like, like you did Jesus into the temptation. Well, it's interesting. It doesn't say the Spirit led Jesus to temptation. It says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness knowing Jesus was going to be tempted. And we say, well, why would God do that? Well, we say there's got to be a purpose. In Jesus's case, it proved his perfection. 
his humanity could withstand the temptation. It proved his humanity could withstand the temptation that the devil brought. So say, well, why is, why is God allowing me this temptation in my life? Why is God allowing me to be tempted? Did God lead me into this temptation? Well, if God led you in, it's because he knew you had a way out, right? God, if God led you in, it's because he knew you had a way out. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in our life are no different than what others experience. God's faithful. He'll allow the temptation. He will not allow, not allow, not allow the temptation to be more than you could stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So does the devil make us do anything? I don't think so. Does the devil influence us yeah and not always directly sometimes it's sometimes it's through good last thing last note the gentleman from the church of the highlands last night uh had mentioned something i thought it was really cool he was talking about in the garden of eden satan used something good as a way to tempt and he explained it much more eloquently than i will but basically we, we know if we read the scriptures, man and woman were created in the image of God. We already know that. We already know they were like God. But the devil used that like Godness as a temptation piece. He said, oh, no, 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 you're not going to die. God knows it'll make you more like God. Well, if you're already like God, what's, what's more like, right? Like the devil used, hey, no, 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 no. God knows if you do this, you'll be even more like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. You're going to know this stuff the way he knows it. That's why right? Satan knew like there was this little button, like sometimes in our desire to be more like God, like Jesus, we start making decisions that actually push us further away from God. Sometimes we, we start to get self-righteous in our attempt to become more like God. Here's the thing, friends. I don't know the, the level of the devil's power, but I know nothing is more powerful than God and God's Holy Spirit. Once we, once we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart, God's Holy Spirit enters us. Well, I know Satan can't overpower God's spirit. So the devil can't make me do anything, which means if I see something, if I'm tempted by something, if I've got a wandering eye or, or I'm, I have a temptation to do something that's unethical, I know where that temptation is coming from. And it's the knowledge of good and evil that came from that original sin in the garden. And it's that the knowledge that I can get ahead and make myself more like my own idol by taking things into my own hands. But God always gives me a way out. Here's the thing though. If we aren't spending time in God's word, if we don't know to a certainty who we are to God and who God is to us. We may not succeed in fighting off the temptation. As we see in John chapter eight, the story of the woman caught in adultery, set aside the fact that the Pharisees completely ignored Levitical law and didn't bring the man in. Here's what we see. Jesus did show grace and mercy and love to this woman by saying, Oh, nobody condemned you? Well, I don't condemn you either. But he didn't stop there. He loved her enough to say, let's not continue the cycle. He said, go and sin no more. He said, 
I'm not condemning you, but here's your way out of the future temptation. I believe everything to do with God is two things. One, a gift, right? The grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus is a gift. It's a gift we can't pay back. However, everything we do is a choice, and it's a choice of how we respond to that gift. See, salvation is a gift that you and I can't earn. You saying the magic words, Jesus, you're my Lord. That, that's not what gets you salvation. God already knows what's in our heart. He knows if we believe or not. Salvation came through Jesus on the cross. Nothing else, nowhere else. He's it. He's the only way. Done. Easy. Boom. But every moment of every day, we have a choice of how we're going to live in response to this. If there's temptation in front of you and me, we have a way out. Now, whatever your struggle is, maybe your temptation is uh, in, in business to do something shady and underhanded. I've experienced that recently with somebody who just talked God, 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 God all the time and then watch them be deceptive and it's heartbreaking. It really is. Whether your temptation is with lust, pornography, whatever it is. God is always giving us a way out. I want to encourage you right now. You're a child of God. God loves you. God sits on the throne. He is all powerful. And he thought you are worth loving. You're worth creating. You're worth living. You're worth being here. Jesus thought you were worthy of it all when he went to the cross for you. Now here's the challenge. The next time you're faced with the temptation, remember that God always gives you a way out. And the closer you are to him, the better you know his word, the stronger you'll be when the temptation comes. Notice that Jesus combated temptation, quoting scripture. Satan quotes Deuteronomy. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. Now here's the challenge that we can fall into. Well, if I just know all the Bible verses, right? it's got to memorize my Bible. Well, the problem with that is the Pharisees had it memorized better than everybody, but they weren't living it. Friends, you got to know your scriptures, but we got to understand why the, the, the words are there. And it's because of the heart behind it. The devil won't make you do anything, but he's going to try hard to tempt you through questioning your identity and God's identity, because if he can change the trajectory of how we approach God, right? Do we approach God as a loving father who wants the best for us? Or do we approach God as someone waiting to drive a spike through our head to convict us of sin? How we view God will determine how we approach God. And it'll also change what we believe about how God sees us. Today, choose to believe God loves you. Today, Choose to believe God wants the best for you. Today, choose to believe that God will always give you a way out of tempting situations. If you choose that, I promise you, you'll experience the joy of knowing Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Bible Study Live today on September 
12th. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be jumping back in between 7.30 and 8.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time, and I sure hope you'll join me. Hey, can I please share a shameless plug? Uh, Dara and I just did a big old press release. That's, it was expensive, too, uh, about our new book for this reason. I live in Ephesians 5 marriage. It's available on Amazon. If you'd like to check it out, <clears throat> you can text the word love to 833-981-0002. It'll automatically text you back a link to buy the book on Amazon. Uh, we'd sure love it if you'd pick up a copy and leave us an honest review. It would be awesome. By the way, if you're um, not watching this but listening to this, standard messaging rates apply, frequency varies. When you text and then there's an automated response, I have to give you that legal disclaimer. Listen, no matter where you're at, in your life, you are just one moment away from walking a little closer with Jesus. Can I encourage you to make this that moment? Get to know God because he already knows you. Love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. Wow.